Hello, you wonderful woman. Welcome to the Love is Coming podcast. I'm your host, Persia Lawson, one of the UK's most successful love coaches, according to the Times Magazine, and author of the book, Love is Coming. It's my mission through this podcast to help single women, specifically female leaders, get powerful, soul-expanding relationships that revolutionize your growth, impact, and happiness during your time on planet Earth. Let's get straight to it. Hey, loves, welcome back. I am very excited and very honored to have the amazing Emily Lavinia with us today. Emily is Cosmopolitan UK's sex and relationships editor. She is an accredited sex educator and sexologist. Emily is also a strong advocate for honest conversations about relationships, sexuality, health and wellness and well-being and everything in between. Her writing, broadcasting, and commercial work explores ideas, innovations, and tensions in the world of love and sex with a healthy dose of myth-busting. She is a member of the LGBTQ plus community and is proud to be an ambassador for organizations like Young Women's Trust and United Nations Women. So firstly, Emily, I just want to say a huge congratulations on your new role as the uh, sex and relationships editor for Cosmo magazine. So I'm curious, and I've just read out your bio there, but I'm really curious to know a little bit more as to how you found yourself doing the incredible work that you're doing today in the field of sex and relationships. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Persia. I'm really happy to be here. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a long old journey and quite an interesting one, because I think um, with this kind of work, especially, it's not something that you you necessarily set out planning to do. You kind of find yourself falling into it. Um, and obviously now, being able to work with an amazing organisation like Cosmo and, and with the likes of the United Nations and, and everyone else, it's, um, it's sometimes a bit of a pinch me moment because in the beginning, I was just someone who had stories to tell, who was noticing tensions, um, who was kind of pushing back against a lot of expectation and thinking there must be something more than this. There must be a way for me to find people that think the way that I do or for me to tell the stories that I think need to be told. And that really took me from, you know, being a junior journalist to working in brands to then, you know, working in the world of startups and doing lots of different advocacy projects and having my own experiences that really opened my eyes and and made me realise that this is a really important subject and something that we need to be talking about every single day. Mm-hmm. I could not agree more. I really could not agree more. So, and that feels like a really nice moment to to segue into the main conversation that I want to talk about today. And, you know, this episode is coming out in Pride Month in June. And I'd really love to use this as an opportunity to explore dating and relationships from an LGBTQ perspective, which is, I'm going to be really honest, is something that we have not done a lot on this podcast. Um, I have found myself doing that in um, my programs. Uh, I've had a number of women who have joined my programs who believe themselves to be heterosexual. And then through doing the really deep work, um, discovered that that they were either bisexual um, or even gay and are now in relationships, really happy, healthy relationships with women, which is which has been wonderful and something that I, I can put my hands up to and say, like, I have a lot to learn in this area. Um, so so let's start with the basics here. Like, what is pride and why is it important? 
Well, it's it's a really interesting one because I think when we think about pride, we think about a big party and we think about celebration and we think about visibility. But the thing that we always have to remember is that pride didn't start as a party. It started as a protest. And the whole idea behind it was that you had two groups that were basically clashing because you had one group that was trying to unapologetically celebrate and um you know and, and just be in their identity in New York and then you had you know law enforcement you had the police pushing back against their their very ability to just congregate in one place and celebrate their identities so that culminated in something that was actually quite violent and then a series of civil rights movements that have now brought us to where we are, which is rainbow flags and marching down the street and and feeling like you can really be visible and be who you want to be. But I do also think that when we talk about pride, we do really also need to remember that we're standing on the shoulders of the people that created this opportunity for us. We, We can be out at work, we can be skipping down the street throughout the month of June, but it's also still a fight. It's something that we are all struggling with day to day and I'm always very conscious that you know for me life's been harder in many ways because I'm queer but also it's a lot harder for a lot of other people in many ways I you know I get invited to partake as a as a spokesperson in all kinds of different events on you know on what it's like to be a queer person but some people are still really oppressed and some people do not want them to be visible and for you know for for pride month we have to remember that and we have to make space for for everybody. So yes, it's a celebration and it's a party and I cannot wait to march in the Pride Parade because that's something I've been doing in London for years now. But I also do think it's really important for us to remember there's, you know, there's activism in Pride. That's the, you know, that's the reason that we're doing it. We want to stand up and say, I'm proud to be who I am without anyone telling us that we should feel threatened or that we can't do that. Yeah. No, I feel quite emotional as you're speaking because I remember when I first went to Pride and I didn't, you know, I I knew knew what it was about, but I hadn't experienced it and I found it so moving. Mm. Um, And probably largely because growing up, my sister, um, my sister's gay and she came out when she was a teenager. She's very open about it. But when you said that about how, um, you know, your your experience growing up how different that was from other people's and I remember my sister she she moved up north I can't remember how old she must have been in her early 20s and she actually had some horrific things happen to her people throwing bricks like I I, I can't get my head around it Mm. I just can't get my head around how in this day and age things like that can still go on in in um in our culture and and yeah, it just, I think that this is a conversation that I like almost like we shouldn't even need to be having it. Like what, like what, but at the same time, of course we do need to be having it. Um, it just, it just, yeah, I find it incredibly, incredibly um, inspiring when you go along to the pride and, and you, you just see, and, and it's making me think of as well. Did you see that show? I think it was called It's a Sin. Do you see it? Yeah, so what Russell did you think Davis that? does the, the most thing? I mean, he's been creating these moments in queer culture, queer pop culture for so long and does it so expertly. Mm. Um, and yeah, his most recent show was incredible because it really struck a chord, I think, with so many young people now because it reminded them of how challenging it has been over the years and in very recent history to be a queer person because, you know, 
people didn't want to touch anyone that was caught up in in anything to do with HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. And now we have this amazing education and, you know, we have preventative drugs and we have a whole community of people who are, you know, really intelligent and self-aware and can take care of their bodies. But, you know, imagine the stigma and your family disowning you or people not wanting to know you or, or being attacked in the street. And it's still going on now. And part of the reason I do what I do with, with advocacy is because, you know, it only quite recently I went on a on a date with another woman and you know these lads at the table next to us would not leave us alone and it was it was frightening it was intimidating and you just think if you were there with a woman I wouldn't be coming up to you so why are you treating me differently and that's why we need to have these conversations and that's why I always said you know pride is not just party pride is protest yes pride is protest and just remembering yeah the like you said the very recent history and what people have been through and continue to go through all over the world um so i mentioned earlier that uh, some of the women that i have done my programs um and throughout the process of really exploring um their their history with relationships and romance and dating and and also looking into their sexuality went on to discover that actually they were gay or bisexual um and it took, you know, it took them quite a long time to realise that. And I just wondered if, you know, what your thoughts are on why some people, it, it does take, it takes quite a long time to realise that that perhaps that they may, they may, they may be gay. Well, I think there's a, there's a few things at play. I mean, there's a lot of things at play, but mm. I also think, you know, especially because um, I think you and I are quite similar in age. I think if you're this sort of age you grew up um off the back of section 28 which banned any kind of conversation about um about queer culture and you know about relationships in schools so teachers just were not allowed to talk about it there were no books on it you weren't allowed to mention it teach it um that was lifted in the early 2000s which meant that you had all these teachers who then didn't get any additional training so really although it was lifted no one was really doing the work which meant that people of our age grew up just assuming that queer relationships weren't a thing unless you really knew that you were very gay mm. you you know you weren't you were just assumed that you were straight and that kind of it's called compulsory heterosexuality but the idea that oh well everyone must be straight until proven otherwise it's not really until you start thinking oh is there something else that you start to explore that so for so many women you know we were all kind of living in the shadow of that thinking obviously I'm attracted to the man go on a date with the man you know, it goes well, we get married, etc. But then so many women are waking up to the idea that there isn't one relationship style that, you know, it's possible to, you know, not even to be, you know, bi or gay or whatever, but there are so many other sexualities within the spectrum of human sexuality that are there to be explored. And really, all it's about is, you know, what makes you feel good? Who do you love? What do you like doing? And we don't ask ourselves those questions. Also, because I think as women, we give so much of ourselves away. We give so much of ourselves over to making other people comfortable. We know that we have these problems where we will, you know, bend over backwards to please other people, but not necessarily take for ourselves. And I think it's great now that we're seeing so much of this in pop culture where you see women actually saying, mm, no, that wasn't working for me. I'm, I'm going to try it a different way. Mm. I love that. But 
so many of us think that we don't have permission to do that and that we can't ask mm, maybe this isn't the right thing for me but I do also think with work like you're doing when you ask women to think about their needs what they want what makes them tick and to really look inside we realize that at the heart of it you know sex is not something that should be associated with shame nor is sexuality nor is pleasure so if you start tapping into all of those ideas obviously you're going to come to a conclusion about what makes you feel good and often that is communing with other women and having you know platonic romantic sexual relationships with other women and that's certainly what I found with so many women that I know mm. I think it's uh what I was thinking of when you were talking about school and this is really awful because it still goes on today but I remember this very very pertinently and I guess I'd not I'd not thought about this consciously or maybe I did at the time about how it was for my sister but the word gay was thrown about constantly as an insult at school, like, but in a like, oh, you know, really mocking way. And so even for those children or teens or whatever, who, who may have had those feelings, the, the fear or, or the stigma associated with it, I can understand why you just not want to go there, not even, not even let yourself look at it certainly in those earlier years and you you know I, I had the experience at school of thinking I really want to come out and be who I am but I also don't want to be victimized bullied put in a situation where I'm drawing attention to myself in the end I just thought oh, whatever and I did it but that did come with a lot of heat and you know growing up in a small town in Sussex where I grew up where you know the kids were just not they you know they weren't here for it they were quite reactive about the fact that that's what I was doing and even my teachers who frankly really should have known better were saying things to me like is everything okay at home you know you're acting up as though I was doing it for attention mm -hmm. but really what I was trying to say was this is who I am and I don't want to pretend to uh to fancy these boys that are just frankly completely disinteresting to me because they're yeah. you know they're not for me um, which you know you can think back now and think obviously makes sense that you would want to be who you want to be but the right it can be very challenging and mm -hmm. there's this whole discourse at the moment about queer gay and the language that we use as well because you have a lot of elders from you know who grew up in the 70s and 80s saying how can you all be using queer queer was such a slur and we have to say to them yeah, if you grew up in the 90s and 2000s, gay was the slur. That's why yeah. I don't like saying I'm gay because it, you know, can be quite triggering for a lot of people yeah. who got bullied at school. <laughs> so yeah. we're all kind of reclaiming the word queer and using that. But I also use that because I sometimes find language can be quite restricting. I don't, some days I, I don't want to consider myself to be a bisexual woman or a gay woman or whatever. I just, you know, I'm part of that community. That's how I identify but I don't really feel like putting myself in a box. And I think a lot of women feel pressure to do that. And that's why they don't want to come out. Whereas if they just think I'm a sexual being and, you know, whatever does it for me, does it for me. That's great because language can be frightening. It can be constricting. And, you know, in a world where you can still be arrested and imprisoned and executed for being gay, uh, you know, it makes sense that a lot of people don't even want to say the word. Mm. It's interesting when you're talking about the wor words there, it makes me think, and, and, I, and I can say this is my experience, um, and I, I wonder how many other people have it. There can be a fear, and this isn't, this is with this topic, it's also with racism, it's it's with all of these, um, these big things, these big um, talking points and, and, you know, really, really important issues. 
And because of the cancel culture that that is very prevalent at the moment, I think a lot of people are terrified of getting it wrong. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm scared about offending someone. I'm scared about getting it, saying the wrong thing and, I, you know, whatever. But at the same time, it's so, it, it seems to me it's so important to have this discourse. And so what would you say about that for, for people who really want to, you know, be an ally, be a supporter, um, show up for this, you know, really show up for this conversation but are really afraid of getting it wrong or saying the wrong thing, what would you say to that person? Well, I always think in these scenarios, you know, um, all of us are still learning. Every day is a school day. So, you know, the best thing you can do is ask questions um, and try and do that from a place where you drop your biases and you're not bringing your personal experience to the table. You're not, you know, you're not necessarily bringing any judgment to the table because no one's going to be upset if you ask them a question. They might be upset if you start throwing around some, you know, some moralistic idea about what you think their life is and and should be like, you know, we don't want that. But the thing that people do love in the queer community, in my experience, is, you know, honest, open questions or, oh, sorry, did I misgender you? Um, You know, what are your preferred pronouns? Or, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to assume that you were straight. What, um, you know, what's... Mm -hmm what's going on with you you know and also if the people don't want to answer those questions because they think look I'm not your school project um you know take it upon yourself to go and educate yourself elsewhere look Mm -hmm. these things up you know the reason we're doing so much work at the moment um following off the back of this amazing legacy that Cosmo has in just creating you know explainer pieces on what it means to you know to have trans sex or what it means to identify as sapiosexual or any of these things you know what is the lgbtq plus glossary what what is it that you have to learn that information is all out there and people like myself are really trying to signpost it so mm-hmm. um you know learn take it upon yourself to to gather that information and it might not sit comfortably with you but then at least you've made the effort um yeah. and the thing that i would always say is although it sounds really hammy it doesn't cost anything to be nice to other people, you know, even though you might have an opinion about the way they live their life, it's not your responsibility to shove that down their throat. You can just be a good human to another human being. And I often find that pride is a really good example of that because there is a huge mix of people that come from all over the world to London pride and Mm -hmm. everyone's just there to have a good time. And I love that because it's just Mm. such a nice thing to see. Mm -hmm. It's, it, it really is the most incredible energy ever. I love it. Um, and on that note, we will, if, if there is any um, educational pieces or links or anything like that, we can pop them in the show notes because I think that would be a really great place to start um, for anyone who is relatively new to this conversation. Um, so I read in the Telegraph, there was a, a piece about how many young people were using the 2021 consensus to come out to their parents. And I know that you came out to your parents when you were a teenager. Um, why do you think it is important uh, that there is more support for younger people to, to come out? Well, I think it's it's great nowadays because we obviously have all of this amazing media and we have shows and we have, you know, um, like amazing icons in pop culture that are just so out and, you know, they do not care. They are here, they are queer, then they want everyone to know about it. But mm-hmm. that's not the reality for a lot of people. And especially for young people, it can be so nerve wracking and so difficult to be able to really 
be who you truly are. And for some people, it coming out just isn't an option, you know, because of, you know, a difficulty at home, because of a clash of beliefs, because they might even be in danger. So I I would say the pressure to be out and proud is a lot for young people because it seems mm. to be so much easier now, but that's not the case for everybody. Mm. Um, and I would also say that finding a community that accepts you before you feel like you need to come out to everybody does really help. I certainly found that it was very hard for me to come out. And then as soon as I left home and started making new friends, um, those people were very accepting of me and celebratory of who I was. And that has continued as I found my people more and more as I've moved through the world. And that, you know, that will happen for all of us, but it might not be happening right now, which can be really, really upsetting. The other thing about coming out is that it's not something you just do once. You know, yeah. I I have had to do it over and over and over again. And some days you just can't be bothered. You know, it's great that we have inclusive workplaces and that people don't assume that you're straight. And obviously for me, I you know, I have a presence online that means that if you Google me, it's probably obvious to you based on things that I've written that, you know, I'm not necessarily a heterosexual person. However, having to do it time and time and time again especially when you're one of these people that um, the community calls passing. So, you know, you pass as straight or you, you know, you, you pass as whatever we use it in when we talk about, um, about trans women a lot as well. You know, if you're passing, it's somehow easier for people to accept you. But if you're not passing, then they don't want you in their bathroom. And that's where mm. we start to get into a very, you know, a, a very um, kind of tricky and upsetting conversation for people. Um but yeah, coming out is, you might have your big coming out moment and it'll all be fireworks or it might just be, yeah, it might just be a damp moment and it doesn't really happen mm. for you. And I think we we put so much pressure, especially because of shows like Euphoria or It's a Sin or whatever, mm. on this idea that it'll happen, your people will arrive, it you know, there'll be fireworks, it'll be great and then you'll never have to do it again because everyone will know that you are gay as the day is long and that's great mm. for you, but that's just not how it works because we're also not at the stage where no one's going to question that or no one's going to take issue with that so Mm -hmm. you also have to feel out your safe spaces um you know more and more employers and more and more spaces are queer friendly but you might always find yourself in a situation where you're kind of looking around thinking is it safe to be out here is it safe to be myself Mm -hmm. and and I think that's something that you know queer people have to deal with day in day out Mm -hmm. yeah I was going to ask you that this um this is really random I don't know where this thought came from but do do you know of younger people having almost like coming out or or older people having coming out parties so it's almost like get everyone in one room and just and just go for it is that a thing so I think for older people definitely because often they've spent their whole life in the closet and they feel like they need some kind of event for younger people we have a lot of data on gen z that says that coming out is not as big a deal to them because most of them are relationship fluid most of them are gender fluid you know they they're like i don't need to tell anyone i don't owe you any information Mm. and also i often laugh about this with a lot of my queer friends which is if i were to meet a straight person i wouldn't be like so um who do you have sex with like you know how do you have sex because yeah. that's really that's a really invasive question and I don't really want to know what they do at the weekends but for yeah. queer people they're like so um you know who puts what where and it's like I don't know you that information about myself yeah <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you that so yeah. the whole thing's kind of weird and I do really appreciate that a lot of younger people are like 
that's personal I don't need to come out but it's also because it's easier for them and I think Mm -hmm. you know say you were born in the 60s or 70s you were in the closet you were married and you were in a heterosexual relationship for years and you've actually just discovered actually I'm queer and I'm going to have a big party with all my new queer friends and my girlfriend and I are going to make a big fuss out of it it's definitely something I see happening with an older generation but good for them you know because it was so much harder so that visibility is really important yeah and I can't remember if it wasn't it's a sin it was in it was in some show where they were the there was the older generation who were talking about you know I think maybe it was they were having a party or something like that I'm saying you know what they went through in those years you know the the legacy the work they did that the crap they went through and and that's enabled it to be so much easier for the generations today which is which is so incredible but it just shows how important this work is um so okay there's a couple of other uh, little topics that while I have you here Emily I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to ask you about because why not So one of the things that really resonated with me that you've talked a lot about in your work in the past is slut shaming. Um, I very much have had my own experience with this. It's a a large part of why I actually do the work that I do. Um, So I I think it sort of is pretty obvious from the title of what it is. But just in case anyone is unclear, what is slut shaming and why do you think it's still so prevalent in today's culture? Yeah, it's such a good question. And it's it's one that I, I'm, I'm so happy to talk about all the time because we basically, you know, I've been talking for this whole conversation about double standards and about mm-hmm. the idea that, you know, one thing for straight people, one thing for queer people, you know, why is the experience so much easier for this group, but not this group? And why is that? And slut shaming is basically another example of, of that kind of inequity and um, and that kind of social and moral injustice. Slut shaming is something that affects young women predominantly. And it's because we have grown up in these kind of patrilineal societies whereby male sexuality and male virility is celebrated, but female sexuality is demonized. And that, you know, there are so, so many reasons for that. A lot of it has to do with the advent of monogamy in hunter-gatherer societies. A lot of it has to do with controlling women's bodies and reproductive systems so that you could ensure, um, you know, a male heir and transfer of money because of the way that we created capitalism. You know, I could get really, really academic about it all. But at the crux, it is women's sexuality has been seen as negative and something that needs to be, um, you know, pushed down. It's been associated with you know, the worst things imaginable, like, you know, the women that were burned as witches were often quite sexually promiscuous or were quite in Mm -hmm. touch with their bodies. So we're having this conversation now still when these ideas about women's sexuality were, were prevalent hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But we've taken this idea and it's, sorry, my email keeps going off. Um, We've taken this idea and it's kind of trickled down into mainstream culture. But we have a mainstream culture now where women have access to their own capital. They don't need to marry. They have access to birth control. They don't have to have children if they don't want to. They also have access to, you know, dating apps, to vibrators, to pleasure, to all of these different things. So we see this evening out, this levelling of the playing field where women can enjoy casual sex as safely and as much as men. And in many ways, obviously, we know that, you know, based on um, based on our hormones women are actually more sexual creatures with greater neuroplasticity 
greater neuroplasticity than men are. Um, so now we're being able to act on that, which is great. The problem being is that we have this idea of slut shaming and female chastity and honour trickling down and it's completely at odds with the way women are actually behaving now so mm. in order to try and keep women in in check we slut shame them we make them feel guilty we make them feel bad we make them feel like they're debauched or dirty or there's something wrong with them for having more than one multiple have many sexual partners we make them feel like they are bad people for enjoying sex and we create um a situation where women have to pretend that they don't enjoy it or they have to mm try and be kind of chaste and virginial in order to try and tie down a man because he's not going to be interested in them if they're quote-unquote damaged goods. But all of this is, um, yeah, it, it makes absolutely no sense because if we look at how men and women behave sexually, how men and women have, you know, engaged throughout society, throughout history, all of these laws, all of these laws about permissiveness and, you know, and honour and morality, it all just kind of falls down. So a lot of it is down to insecurity. Um, and yeah, slut shaming is, is unfortunately something that happens to a, a lot of women. It's happened to me all through my life because I've always been quite happy to admit that I think sex is great and I enjoy it and I want to have more of it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. I still have to call out some of my male friends where, and I, they're not dickheads, they're lovely. But every now and then there'll be a comment Oh, what a slut. And, and I'm just like, and I go, I come down hard on them, hard on them. But it, it's, it is still so prevalent in today's culture. And I remember growing up as a teenager, having that word bandied around. And to be honest, I, I basically went the other way and was like, right, well, I'm just going to own it. I'm going to, I, I am going to be in control of this narrative. I am not, I will not be pitied or judged by, or they can do it, but I'm going to own it. And that actually didn't, it, it took me down like kind of dark roads to be honest it didn't it didn't really help me um but you also talk about the the madonna hall complex that feels like something that's that's relevant to this conversation how does that impact both men and women in today's world well this is yeah it links very closely and it's it's kind of one of these ideas dreamt up by our best friend dr freud um which we're still <laughs> trying to unpick now um but it's basically the idea that um there are two types of women, two archetypes. And, you know, we know that these male psychologists and philosophers loved an archetype because it's very easy to then put women in boxes or say, you know, this is who I am. Um, but humans are incredibly nuanced and there's so much at play that that's impossible. We can't be doing that. But the Madonna is basically the woman that you respect and that you honour and that is probably virginal or chaste or, I mean, ironically, in a lot of, in a, in a lot of cultures, they're quite maternal as well. They are your literal mother, which means they mm. definitely had sex if they're your mum, because yeah. here you are. Mm -hmm. um, and then, the, you know, the alternative of that is the whore. So you've got, um, you know, the, the kind of Mary versus Mary Magdalene type thing, mm. if you want to kind of look at it through a, a Christian lens. Um, and the whore is someone that you don't attribute time or respect to. They're someone that lacks worth, but they are your dream girl and they're the person that you think about all the time. And they're the apex of your sexual fantasy. So you've got two women, two archetypes on two ends of a very, you know, very nuanced scale. 
but this is kind of how we break it down. And recently I've been talking a lot about this because it's something that follows women around, but I see it come up time and time again. And like you say, your friends, not dickheads, probably really nice people, Mm. but we have these ideas hammered into us, really ingrained from a very young age, which means that, you know, even myself at the weekend, I was sat having a drink with a friend of mine and uh, he said to me, oh, I just... I don't think I could date someone like you. And I said, what do you mean someone like me? And he said, oh, I don't know. You're just very like open with everything. And I said, yeah, you um, you have a lot more fun than I do. So why does, you know, how, how are we different? We're friends with exactly the same type of person. He's basically like the male version of me. But, you know, he definitely has a lot more casual sex than I do. And I know that to be a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't me saying to him, oh, I don't think I could date someone like you. Mm. Because you either have to be pure as the driven snow or you'll just be someone that, you know, men don't respect and, and will waste time with. Um, and when we attribute value to women based on their sexuality, it uh, it becomes very problematic because we neglect to acknowledge the idea that all people are very complex individuals. We come from you know, a variety of different backgrounds with a variety of different beliefs, but the amount of times we've had an orgasm really does not dictate our worth. Yeah. It's a classic one. I was just thinking in my head about, uh, oh, she's not girlfriend material or she's not wife material. I'm like, I know exactly what you mean by that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just say yeah. what you mean. <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's something. It's it's a nice way of saying it, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, I couldn't not ask you this one because I heard you talking on Millie McIntosh's mum, I can actually say this, mum lemmas podcast about something called orgasmic manifestation. And I know that the listeners of this podcast would bloody love this. So could you, before we go to the final few lightning round questions, could you just tell us what is orgasmic manifestation and how can we get involved? Sure. So um, obviously doing what I do for a living, I will trial absolutely everything that there is um you know to know about sex or to you know to try and this is something that came up um a few years ago when I was talking to someone who is a yoni massage practitioner and they were talking about how mindfulness really intersects with our ability to be in our bodies but also to really experience pleasure and then that creates a sense of optimism for us and obviously manifestation has really really taken off so Mm -hmm. the two were kind of married together and the idea is that you when you're masturbating or when you're touching yourself or when you even when you're thinking about pleasure or having an orgasm you can also do it with a partner but they can often kind of read you know derail you with your energy because it's quite nice to focus um what you should be doing is channeling that energy channeling that pleasure channeling that optimism And that somatic feeling that is building inside you that gives you a lot of power, a lot of fire into thinking about what do I want? How am I going to achieve it? Not necessarily being too in your head, because that can really throw you off when you're you're trying to experience pleasure, but really trying to use that energy, that sexual energy to channel it into your beliefs, your goals. Um, You know, we all feel great after we've had an orgasm. How can we use that energy? How can we really zero in on it? So I got really into the idea and obviously, you know, I will try anything. So I decided I was going to do a little course and uh, and really lean into the idea that I was going to harness my power. And I was feeling incredibly powerful, you know, feeling like things were happening for me. I was, you know, I was really doing it. And a lot of this kind of esoteric work, you know, it's mind over matter. 
Mm-hmm. The things that are happening for you are not necessarily happening because you cast a spell, but the fact that you cast the spell makes you feel so much more validated and like, you know, it's very edifying when it, when you see it come together. And that's why we all love ritual, you know, mm-hmm. for for millennia, humans have been into the idea that if we create a sign or a symbol or a, a process or a ritual around something, it it legitimizes it, it makes it real. So the idea of orgasmic manifestation is really using pleasure in your body to focus on what you want, how you're going to get it, and to believe that you are worthy. Because mm. when we believe that we deserve something, when we believe that we are worthy, we have that you know that neural pathway is built every time dopamine fires off in our heads we start becoming addicted to that that experience because as we know dopamine is a learning chemical it's not necessarily a pleasure chemical so yeah in you know long story short the more pleasure you're having the more good things you're thinking for yourself wishing for yourself and the more you get into the cycle of enjoying orgasm enjoying optim you know optimizing that experience and feeling good and feeling worthy the more good things you feel like are going to come to you and it also gives you, um, yeah, the uh, the encouragement to spend some time on yourself, which is great because a lot of us, you know, we forget to masturbate or, you know, we feel too busy or we don't feel turned on. A lot of us need any kind of pleasure to be productive now because we're all mm-hmm. addicted to this productivity cult. Mm-hmm. If you check it in your diary and say, oh, I really need to do my manifestation, at least then you are giving yourself some pleasure too. Two for one, babe. <laughs> I know, Exactly. <laughs> You can't say fairer than that. Yeah, I'm all for any little nifty productivity hacks or time savers. So I love that. Two for one. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, that's our little um, practical exercise for everyone listening. Go and have a go at orgasmic manifestation. Maybe bring it into your morning practice or your evening practice, whatever works for you. Okay, amazing. So listen, you have been the most incredible guest, Emily. You are so eloquent. You are so wise and you have so much knowledge um, about so many different areas as pertaining to sex and relationships. And I've definitely learned a lot from this episode. So I always like to finish finish with what I call the home straight questions or the lightning round inspired by that episode of Friends where they, you know, they do the the war over the apartment, like they do the quiz. So just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, so the first one. What love life advice would you give to your 15-year-old self? Oh, my 15-year-old self. Um, Standards, have better standards. (laughs) (laughs) I do think, you know, I was a teenager, like a lot of people that suffered with with low self-esteem and and not really knowing who I was and for that reason I look for love in a lot of the wrong places and now I look back and think oh I'm way too hot to have been with that person (laughs) really wish I didn't do that but you know if I could go back and tell her one thing it's to believe in herself a little more Mm, love that what's one thing people may be surprised to know about you um well, actually, if I wasn't going to be a writer, I always did want to be a journalist. But my my other career was that for many years, I was a singer songwriter and toured and did festivals and basically thought my career was, was going to be a music one. So people are often very surprised when I tell them that because it's kind of a, a wild card that they don't expect. I love that. I used to be um, an actress, singer and songwriter. I've got, I've got my ukulele right next to me here. <laughs> I was having a little jam before. Uh, so can we listen to you anywhere? No, because I, yeah, it was one of those things where every, you know, my my career changed. I took everything offline. Yeah. Um, got my guitar behind me here, but yeah, maybe that's, oh. maybe that's one for another day. <laughs> oh, I love that. Amazing. Okay, before the final question, where can people find out more about your work? 
So, um, yeah, like, like you said, I think we've covered so much. So I would say, you know, if you're interested in any of the things that I speak about, you can find me on Instagram, which is Instagram, um, Emily Lavinia UK, and then on Twitter, um, which is where I do all my juicy polls. Um, so that's just Twitter, Emily Lavinia. Um, I write a newsletter called The Cuff, where I basically publish everything I'm not allowed to publish through my employer. So it's there's a lot of advice and spice there. But then I would also say, you know, for anyone that's interested in genning up, you know, becoming more confident, learning everything there is to know about sex and sexuality, um, I would visit, you know, the Cosmo uh, UK site, um, specifically the the sex and love area, because we just post so much great stuff there. And I am really proud of it. Amazing. We will make sure we link all of that in the show notes for you. Okay, final question. What is your number one piece of advice for anyone listening who is currently feeling challenged or confused with regards to their sexual identity? So I think we we're never fixed you know we are always changing and the mistake that we always make is to believe that there is a goal that when we become the person you know the the finished person everything will be okay but that's a myth and that's never going to happen you are only ever as much as you are right now so I would say if you're feeling very confused the best thing that you can do is not kind of long or pine or focus on the person that you will become further down the line. It's more about compassion and learning to love who you are right now. Because when we don't like ourselves, we don't want to have sex with ourselves and we don't want to have sex with other people. And the best thing that you can do is really try and tune into where you're at. You know, why are you feeling uncomfortable? What are the reasons you're not feeling like you're, you're where you need to be? What isn't serving in terms of how good you feel? Why are you not experiencing the pleasure that you think that you deserve? Um, because you do deserve pleasure and, you know, you deserve to be surrounded by people who respect you, love you and also want to give you pleasure. So I think, you know, there's no magic bullet, but it is just a case of recognising why it is that you don't feel like you're where you need to be. And I think pretty quickly you will find that the steps that you need to take in order to love yourself better mean that you become closer to that finished person that you've been idealising so quickly and in a way that you probably never thought was possible. Um, so all I would say is just really hone in on figuring out why it is that you're not feeling sexually connected. And once you find your why, it's a lot easier to figure out who it is that you want to be and how to enjoy that. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That was, I mean, that was really profound. That was kind of great advice for anyone, anywhere, at any stage in their life with any oh, issues. But but also really specific at the same time. That was a really powerful place to end. And I'm I'm definitely going to remember that last piece of advice. Um, thank you so much for being such an incredible, generous guest. And uh, I'm so excited to see what magic comes up through your new role at Cosmo and see what, what else you're going to be doing. I feel like you're going to be up to really exciting things. So thank you so much for coming on my lovely little show. Thank you so much for having me, Persia. I've loved it. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope this episode served you and gave some practical insights and strategies around the next steps in transforming your love life from the inside out. Do come and let me know over on Instagram what resonated for you the most and why. I am at Persia Lawson. And if you want more tips and tools on how to become a vibrational match for the powerful, committed relationship that you deserve, check out my book, Love is Coming, as well as my programs and coaching containers over at persialawson.com. 
this website is also linked in this episode's show notes. And if you got value from this episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd like, subscribe, share, and or leave a quick review. This helps the podcast rank higher so it can reach other women who want or need the support. And to have your question answered, send it over to podcast at persialawson.com and we'll get to it ASAP. Until next time, I want you to remember that love is coming for you. But in the meantime, it's your responsibility to stop looking outside of yourself for the partner you want to get and start looking inside of yourself for the partner you want to be.